Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of La Rouge Rugby Podcast where we talk about real Canadian rugby. I'm Shu Hardy, joined as always by Derek Reset. Derek, we had a lot of rugby games going on this weekend, but of course none of them matter because none of them featured Canada except for one. And that's the game that we're going to be mainly focusing about and we'll get to the others later. But was this a mixed emotion for you? I see you wearing your Saracens jersey, uh, <laughs> Stonex Stadium. Yeah. Uh, lots of lots of Saracens players um, taking part in the match for both sides. So were you in a constant flux of you know disappointment because some Saracens players were losing but others were winning? I mean, how how did you cope? Uh yeah, you know it's all it's always tough. You want to see the uh, you always want to see the Saracens players do well. So obviously, uh, you know those that are on England definitely came out on top, and unfortunately those that were on Canada. Um, you know, didn't fare as well, but I think, you know, in these situations, always, always cheering for Canada, always, you know, it's cool to see us uh, to see Canada playing at the Saracens ground for me. That's a, that's a fun moment, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I think my general rule of thumb is when I'm watching any team play at Stonex stadium is I'm cheering for the red and black one. And, uh, that's how it always goes. It's, it's a very simple equation, really just, Cheer for the red and black team that has Sophie de Goody on it. And that's, it's basically settled. The argument settles itself, really. Yeah, I suppose. Fair enough. So let's get into the game itself. This was the second of the series between England and Canada. And, you know, after the blowout victory last week, it was considered more of the same, especially as it started. A couple of tries from Packer and Kill Dunn, who, you know, were very impressive um in uh, sandy park in exeter the week before and then just when you thought okay you know two tries no conversion so 10 nil up it can't get any worse than this and then suddenly it did because uh gabrielle senf um had a high tackle on england player and as so was deemed a red card so for basically three quarters of the match, Canada were down to 14 already against a team that, you know, is the world number one. So, you know, not great. But um, then we, you know, continued. There was a bit of back and forth in terms of momentum and possession. And there were, you know, misthrown line outs. There were knock-ons. There were so on and so forth. And then in the 26th minute came what's known as two, you know, Arrows fans. <laughs> As the Mike Shepherd special, but this time it was the Svoboda special because um, she um, connected with a kick to cause the charge down, was able to regather it and score Canada's first try of the match. So, you know, as Mike Shepherd's retired, maybe we should uh, now be changing the name of <laughs> such a move. I think that's I think that's only fair, isn't it? And pass the torch on. Yeah. So the Saras of I'm butchering this name. Sara Saboda Special. That's a lot of that's some alliteration that, that's, there. That is, that is. yeah. No. Well, we well, we all know what it means. It's that charge down uh try, which we're all uh thrilled to see. And unfortunately, Sophie DeGoody on her, you know, proving that she's human quest is uh missed that conversion. Um and then Muir got a try for England again to end out the first half. And then obviously being a player down for the second half, you know, really came to Bruch with England um, scoring two more tries from Reed and Breach. 
And um, now, fortunately, what kept the score low was that only Muir and Reed's uh, tries were converted. So uh, the score at this point was uh, 29 to 5. And then right towards the end, within the final 10 minutes, um, you know, Taylor Perry, she came on for the final like five or ten minutes of the first game against England. She'd been playing the entirety of the second, was able to get that ball down over the whitewash for Canada's second try of the game. And Sophie Goody may have proved that she was human in the first half, but proved she was superhuman in the second half by nailing a what is essentially a touchline conversion. Uh, and that ended the scoring of the game. Final score, England 29, Canada 12. So still a comprehensive victory for the Red Roses. But at the same time, you know, it's showing that uh, Canada was still in that fight uh, throughout that game. You know, it was much closer than the previous week. And obviously having more uh, time together, having more playing time. You know, it could have, if Senf hadn't been uh, sent off, maybe it would have been a much closer game. But again, these are the world number ones. And, you know, getting... Um, getting game time in especially is fantastic and the commentators were saying that you know prior to the World Cup in 2022 Canada was struggling to get three or four games a year because they didn't have a competition like the Six Nations and there's no women's rugby championship to my knowledge anyway so now we have the Pacific Four series and we have these uh, warm up games we have the WXV coming up this month and now Canada's set to play nine games this year so you know that experience and the growth of women's rugby especially as we head towards the 2025 World Cup with the expansion to 16 teams it's definitely going to be very interesting to see and I'm glad that uh, the women are getting the games that they deserve and yeah you know and like I said we have the WXV coming up where um, Canada will be playing uh, Wales then Wales, England and then France so if you remember the World Cup from last year it's basically sequential moment it was Wales in the warm-up, England in the semi-finals and France in the bronze final so you know, it's a bit of deja vu, I would say. But let's hope the score lines aren't the same. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, we'll circle back to that uh, Sophie de Goody's comments at the World Cup, right? More games, more resources. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like the squad's getting the more games part is uh, coming to yeah. fruition. Hopefully more resources are to uh, are to follow. Um, but I mean, that's something we've talked to at length on the podcast. So we'll just bu- kind of mm-hmm. maybe buzz through that point here. But well, um, well, we got to reiterate it again, just so that Rugby Canada knows. So that, Rugby Canada, you know, we're not, we're, we're not giving up. We're still pushing that. You know, we can get more players, get them, them money. more professional, yeah, more professional environments, more yeah. money, more, more opportunities to represent Canada on the on the uh, global stage, and more chance to get medals in uh, World Cups, ideally gold, but you know, <laughs> baby stars. All, right. All right, well, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think this game, I think there's kind of like three, um, I think there's three things that happen in this game that feel like they kind of contributed both like momentum wise and also just tactically what happened and maybe contributed to um, the loss in this one. The The first one being um, just as far as something that happened like throughout the game, as I believe you did touch on it, the line out was uh, just not 
good enough in this game. Um, there was a lot of, you know, whether it was England getting a hand up there to kind of, you know, make the ball a little messy or straight up steal a line out um, or, you know, just oh, there was a few throws that weren't straight. There was even a throw that wasn't straight that um, Canada got away with because England had an infraction that was later in the game. I think that was one of Bogue's throws. But, um, yeah. Right. And it was like England had an infraction at the lineout before the throw. So they kind of got away with that one. But if you look at where that ball ended up, it's definitely not straight. Um, so that that was kind of an issue because I think not only was there a few of those lineouts that put Canada in good attacking position, a couple of them England was able to also, I think, uh, Reed's try in the 50th minute started with uh, with a botched lineout. If you kind of rewind it, that's how their possession started. It's not the immediate thing that led to that try. Um, but... It's, uh, you know, so I feel like that was kind of an issue. Canada also missed on in the first half, early in the first half, a chance, um, you know, five meters out from England's England's line as well, which, you know, the uh, the line out didn't didn't go uh, favorably and they ended up turning that over, um, you know, even even further as far as like set piece goes, uh, England uh, looked like they had the better scrum too and kind of used that to their advantage at certain points. Um, so that's. You know, as we're looking towards uh, WXV, um, that's going to be something that's got to get cleaned up, especially, uh, you know, especially like maybe you can get away with it against Wales, but you're not going to get away with it against England and France. Um, and so it's, you know, that's something that's definitely going to have to be cleaned up a little bit. Um, beyond that, I think there's two kind of things that two things that also happened in this game that to me just really killed momentum a lot. One was obviously Gabriel Sneff's um, red card, mm-hmm. yeah, right? which, um, which was already as you mentioned, it was ten nothing at that point already. So realistically, poor start, right? You're down ten nothing, thirteen minutes into the game, give up a red card at the seventeenth minute. So that's not the greatest opening twenty minutes, right? And mm-hmm. you know, obviously being. Well, for one, it's an obvious red card. Yeah. Um, is there, I like, it's very, I feel like maybe it's just because I'm watching too much World Cup right now. I feel like it's very rare where we get like a, or at least right now, it seems like it's kind of rare where we're getting like a red card that's like everybody kind of agrees on. Um, But this one, well, it's, was it's strange why. not to have the bunker system in there. So instead of it just I, being a yellow, and we'll get back to it in eight I minutes. I kind time. of hate the bunker. Is this? Can we go? Should we do this later, or can we do the aside now? I actually kind of hate. Uh, the I'm going to give you 90 seconds to do just, your aside. Just make a call. Just, just let people know what the call is. Just, just make a call. You don't have to be like, it's a yellow, but maybe we'll make it red in 10 minutes. We'll let you know. Just make a call. That way, everybody just knows what's going on. Just, just make a call. That's my like beef on the bunker. I don't like reviewing it like later. Just pick one uh, i think they, the whole idea of the bunker is did this reach the yellow card threshold yes okay we'll get them off the pitch and then uh, the tmos can decide behind the scenes and the game keeps going so the flow of the game's better so i think that's no yeah the but only the reason. flow of the game's better but it also makes no sense just make make a call you know what it, like just no what like just make the call no other sport does this no other sports like hot you don't see hockey being like here's a two-minute penalty 
yeah, we looked at it actually like, you know, and then a minute 45 later, they're like, ah, you know what? We looked at it. It's actually a four minute penalty. Enjoy the rest of your power play. Yeah, and- but the the alternative is what does happen in hockey is, you know, we're, we're going to a video review. We're going to stop play for a few penalties in hockey or in all fouls or whatever. And so I've seen I've seen the refs run on or well, skate on, I should say, or basically you can have, there's, you know, there's some uh, long coaches challenges and stuff like that. So yeah. that that's what Terrible. they're trying to avoid. They're saying like, okay, the reviewing goes on it's behind like, the scenes and me, we'll decide though, from there. If it's a penalty though, like the teams on the field have to know what's going on. Like you game plan differently if you know that that player's coming back versus if you got to be like, okay, we got to figure out what we're going to do playing 14 people down for or like with only 14 players for the next X amount of minutes. I like, can get what I can get what you mean by that, but it's a different for them. It's like okay, you are without a player for at least eight minutes, so yeah. work on that, and then the ref will call in, and then it's like okay, now you either have to you know change what? your strategy for in two minutes later, or change your strategy for the entire game. You know where we really screwed up, though. I think with this all kind of goes back to the whole review system and everything in every sport. As yeah. a sport viewing public. The moment we screwed up were, is the moment that whatever point in history where we decided that refs can't be wrong. That was like, oh, no. that's I mean, the moment we screwed up. Like, just let guys make calls. Just let people make calls. If it like, if they're really good, they should be right most of the time or whatever. But it's like this, like desire in like every sport to be like perfection is like, is kind of wild and leads to weird things like this. I don't know. I think it's more of a case of if you let, let me put it like this way: if it was Saracens versus Quins, and it's the Premiership final, and sure. Quins want to get to the final, but whatever. Uh, anyway, but so Quins are there in the final, and they score a try, and the, and then and because of there's no video review or stuff. The ref says that, you know, a try was awarded because that's what the line judge saw. That's what the ref saw. But then you find out after the fact that the player actually knocked it on. And therefore, Saracens should have, uh, that try shouldn't have been allowed and Saracens should have won the game. But that's not how annoyed would you be? No, because that's not what the bunker's for, though. Right, like the bunkers, like they're reviewing yellow, yellow versus red cards as it happens. Like, it's not like they would be like, okay, like the Quins score a try, and then t- eight minutes later they're like, actually, that's not a try, and then take the try off the board. Yeah, but that's Nobody's but that's the whole that. point that of would, your thing. Of they can't be wrong. That would be like, oh no, let them be. Let them be wrong. Let them be mad at refs. Leaf fans, we've been mad at Kerry Frazier for thirty years. Just let it happen. <laughs> Like I, it, it's fine. I, Just let it happen. Okay, right. Anyway, your ninety Anyways, seconds okay. has so, been and gone. Okay, so back to, back to you started asking questions. You added to the ninety seconds. Okay, Canada women. Yeah. So either way, Gabriel Sneff's um, red card um, is like it's obvious. It's she's way too high in the tackle. It's mm-hmm. like you don't need the bunker for that. It's red, like just clear red. Yeah. Botterman kind of joked about it um, after in their post match interview. After it's actually really funny where uh, the uh, the commentators ask her like what happened on that red card, and she was just like, uh, she put her shoulder into my face, and um, yeah, that's about exactly what happened. Um, at least, um, so 
but it's just a momentum killer. It's 10 nothing, and you're yeah. down a player. And, you know, and then obviously, weirdly, Sabota gets her try. So I feel like that try actually kind of steadied things for a bit for Canada. And like the rest of the half, even though they were, you know, maybe didn't look the most like threatening from an attacking point of view, um, they were playing some solid defense and it was like a pretty steady um, approach to the game from them. The other big momentum killer, though, I think is in the 39th minute, Muir gets another try. And we've yeah. kind of talked about on the podcast, like before, like how much a try in like the 39th, 40th minute, right before halftime, um, or even a try like right after halftime can be such a big momentum boost or a momentum killer. And I yeah. think Canada, uh, and I think like, if Canada was feeling down at the 20 minute mark, being down by two tries, being down a player due to a red card, Sabota, I feel like kind of brought them back up with a really, um, as you said, like, you know, the Sarah Sabota special, as we'll rename it now. But yeah. it's like a really great, like, individual play, uh, good charge down. Atchison kind of took way too long to get that kickoff, but what, but, you know, we're happy for it. And, that kind of brought them back up, but then that mere try, I think, kind of brought it back down. And then the opening 10 minutes in the next half also ended with a read, a try for read as well. So yeah. it's like it kind of, and then the score kind of feels a little bit more out of reach. And you're also down a player. So it's like it, it becomes an uphill battle quickly. So I think looking at the game, I think those are kind of like the three big takeaways from me or the two big moments. And then the line out really not being able to to connect it just kind of felt like the uh like what happened yeah. in, uh, or you know yeah, the Ke Kevin Rue had a few comments after the games that it's still a loss for sure i think defensively there was more aggression and i think we need to find a balance sometimes yeah. we get so many penalties that it costs us more easy tries from england so that's something we have to fix to understand when to have the aggression after the red card, it became more of a challenge to try and win the game, but I love our mindset. At halftime, we're talking about how we still want to win this game, and that is the mindset we should have. Offensively, I think we need to be better, for sure, in these kinds of games. There was space outside that we, we didn't finish. We attacked too much around the breakdown, and there were easy carries sometimes that we needed to be better at. But I recognize our effort until the end. So yeah, I think having that mindset of, yeah, you're up against the world number ones, but... Even at halftime, 17-5, that's, you know, tw that's 12 points difference. That's, you know, two two converted tries, you're back in the game. Obviously, that oh, didn't happen. Yeah. But, you know, keeping it realistic, keep obviously, you know, that isn't how it panned out, unfortunately. But, you know, it's a little thing. Um, but I, will, I agree with him as there was space that didn't finish. Um, attacking the breakdown, I think, obviously yeah. sucked in more. Uh, defenders for when it came out and there are a few moments <laughs> where you just put your head in your hands and go like oh how did you do why do you do that yeah. and I also think that but I think you could say the same thing for England as well I think there were multiple opportunities that England threw um, away so yeah. that they they could have definitely had a score line similar to the first game and you could it's... you know maybe argue like oh you know they're trying players in different positions or they're trying yeah. something new and if it like... didn't work and and like we said last week these are the games in which you can do that because mm. from both perspectives already qualified for the next world cup so the wxv is an opportunity to play more 
games, but again, that's ranked, these aren't. And, you know, give new players a chance uh, to get more international experience, get a few players back from injury and see how they perform. And, yeah, these are the games in which you can risk. You can try something new. You can um, mix it up. And, you know, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then, you know, back to the drawing board. Yeah, I mean, I think both teams obviously came out with a couple lineup changes and things. But I think the one thing I'm kind of like looking at this and obviously there's a handful of players that were playing in this game, too, that um, we'll talk. uh, I guess we can slightly transition into like the uh, the traveling roster now for WXV. Yeah, because so the day after um, the this game against England, the traveling roster was announced there's only 30 players going to the inaugural WXV tournament. Um, so as a result, certain players have been um, stricken uh, from that. So uh, Olivia DeMerchant and Taylor Perry have uh, been removed as well as uh, Caroline Crossley and Magali Harvey. So Crossley didn't feature in the series against England. Yeah. Harvey um, only came on as replacement in the first test. As we said, Perry um, played the entire second game, but um, again, final 10 minutes in the first. And yeah, uh, so and the merchant's absence is um, questionable. But uh, in their place, uh, Brittany Cassil and Julia Schell uh, back into the touring squad. Um, so... The non-traveling reserves include uh, Demerchant, Perry, Crosley, Harvey, as well as Abby Duguid, Emma Taylor, Lizzie Gibson, um, Corinne Frechette, and uh, Mahalia Robinson. And you may be wondering, well, there's a few players that didn't go on the tour. Are they going? No, there's still uh, six players listed unavailable. Four of them have been in World Cups. Uh, so the list includes Maya Montiel, Cassandra Tufnell, uh, Pafanet Boisa, Karen Paqui, Brianna Miller, and Sarah Kaljuvi. Those are the six that are not available um, for this tournament. Uh, so that leaves a total of 30 players going down to New Zealand to play these games. Um yeah, and it yeah. seems a, pr- so, a pretty good strong, uh, pretty good squad with the forwards. The backs is um, a bit interesting. Uh, I mean, I feel I feel sorry, I feel sorry for Taylor Perry, who you know played yeah. the entire second game, scored to try to finish it, and now she's on the coming back from an injury. Yeah, so I mean, but again, I'm think... not Kevin Ruay. I don't know the full see, details. So that, see, that's the thing, though. It's like I think. Like some of the changes and stuff, obviously certain players being dropped off, uh, dropped off the squad, and you know Shell and Castle coming back. Obviously that that's obviously big. Um, but and like you said, you had some of these players playing really well. I wonder how much of and to your to your earlier point there, Stu, of like you know these games are kind of like an opportunity to test some things or try some combos too. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the world cup qualifiers and like teams like Tonga played Canada, um, Romania played USA teams, not in the world cup. 
Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the bigger guns that are going to the tournament, um, you know, like New Zealand played South Africa, right? That's not not in the same pool, right? Like a lot mm-hmm. of the World Cup warm-up games are played, like the matchups are like teams that aren't really, aren't necessarily going to have to play each other. Like maybe you end up in a semifinal or a final, but like there, you nobody's playing like warm-up games like within their pool, mm-hmm. um, right? And I think the interesting thing with this is that obviously it's a two-game series between England and Canada, two of the top four nations in the world that have a very meaningful game in less than a month, right? And mm-hmm. I wonder how much the lineup decisions on both sides and the tactics used in this game, I wonder how much of that is also a little bit of like mind games from the coaching staff a bit too just being like we're not going to show you everything like we want we want our players to come in and get the reps in that they need Mm -hmm. warm up you obviously don't want to go to wxv cold but like get the reps in you know maybe see how like you know taylor perry's coming along after you know after her injury and you know coming back to um you know coming back into the side play her like and even that perry kind of played a little out of position too at a you know center during this game even though she did score a nice try kind of mix things up right like you know play olivia apps a lot in the uh, in the second half right allow like a lot of early changes um you know like you said use like um harvey kind of came in a little bit gives everybody like you know make some subs give everybody a break nobody gets hurt you don't want anybody getting hurt in these games as well wxv um but also maybe just kind of show you know don't necessarily show your entire hand like yeah like that that. ace or two up the sleeve and maybe that's part of the uh you know the lineup calls and stuff is also just like maybe it didn't even matter how like, you know, everyone, we're going to look at Taylor Perry. Taylor Perry played pretty well. She scored a try, keep her on. But, you know, if that's maybe not part of the plan, maybe there's something else, you know, something else there. And it's like, you probably don't want to show all your cards to a team that you have to play a super meaningful game against in less than a month. Yeah, no, I fully get that. And yeah, if you're wondering, where can I watch the WXV? Well, it's going to be a few uh, early hours games, if you remember the... World Cup in 2022, uh, but we can say that the first game will be held on October the 20th at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, and all Canada's games from the WXV will be available on TSN, the specific channels, or if it's on the TSN Plus service, is to be determined at a later date. And if you want to follow along with the WXV as a whole, keep in mind that it is divided into essentially three competitions, WXV1, WXV2, and WXV3. And two and three will be taking place between the 13th to the 28th of October, whilst WXV1, which features Canada, will be the 20th of October to the 4th of November. So they'll be starting later, but they'll be finishing later as well. So... Yeah, if you you know if you want to see whether um, the United States is going to get relegated to WXV three, who knows? But uh, <laughs> that'll be happening the uh, week before the final round. Yeah, I'm looking game. at the schedule now. The one two a.m. game might be rough. That might, well, not if you're on. 
Not if you're on the uh, Pacific Coast. So that's still Maybe. 11 p.m. kickoff. That's still that's still kind of that's still wrong. See, I'm thinking. Do you? I'm thinking of like, is it better to stay up, or do you go to bed at like seven and wake up later? Like, what's the strategy on a 2 a.m. kickoff? Well, keep in mind that that game's going to be against England, and we've already had two games of Canada England, at... but not this game. Yeah, but not this game. But at the same time, if you're like, okay, I've seen Canada, England twice already this year, and I've seen how the results go. You know what? I may just get uh, the highlights in the morning or something along those lines. Maybe. You also, though, risk the chance of waking up to find, like, Canada smash England 50-0 yeah. in Dunedin. And... Mom, we gotta, we got to figure it out. we got to figure it out. I uh, know. We'll be figuring that out. But... Figure out your excuses for how you can uh, sleep in and show up to work late on uh, Friday, October 27th, guys. <laughs> anyway, we move on because news has come out of a couple of more competitions. Uh, we're going to be talking about senior men's first. As reported by Brian Ray with America's Rugby News, there will be a mini tournament in Spain that will feature Canada, Spain, obviously, the USA and Brazil. And there will be two rounds. The first round, which will be held on November 11th, will feature the USA versus Brazil and Spain versus Canada. And then a week later on November 18th, the winner of the first, uh, the winner of both games will face each other and the losers of both games will face each other. So uh, Canada may end up playing the USA in Spain. And if that happens, that will be the second time that's happened this year. Because if you remember, the Pacific Force series had Canada versus the USA in Spain. Uh, now, you may be wondering, well, hang on, how come uh, Canada gets to play Spain and either USA or Brazil? Why not one round with Spain, one round with Brazil, and one round with the USA? And apparently, according to Brian Ray, um, who quote tweeted Miguel Donez, um, is that per the Spanish Union and media manager, the decision to play the two test tournament instead of a full three test round robin series came from World Rugby, which is disappointing to say the least. Says, I mean, uh, that whole tweet is just a polite way of saying World Rugby is dumb and uh, doesn't like tier two nations that well. Yeah, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. How? But still, the opportunity to play Spain again, you know, maybe Spain will be looking to get their first win over Canada on home soil, which is probably likely. It also feels very unfair. What a confidence there, Stu. I mean, <laughs> uh, did, did you see the game between Spain and Canada last year? I did. I did. We did. We talked about it. Spain without, without the S. I try to forget. Uh, I also feel this is uh, so the highest ranked team of these four are is the USA, who are currently ranked 18th. Spain's at 20th, Canada at 23rd, and Brazil's 26th. And I'm like, hang on a second, how come number 18 gets to play 26? That seems a bit, you know, well, it's not like Brazil's the, getting the short straw here. That's the way it's usually done, though. Highest seed plays lowest seed. So, yeah, but. Yeah, although to me, if this was a full round robin tournament, this wouldn't be an issue. But thanks again, World <laughs> Rugby. Yeah, just like yeah, just one other week, just one more week. Yeah, 
That's and happy. they will be playing in Villahoisa, which um, for anyone who has been to Spain or the British um, population in Spain in Benidorm is just right around the corner, but it's current. But uh, the location of the stadium they'll be playing in is slightly uh, northeast of Murcia and south of Valencia. So um, right on the Mediterranean, you know, it should be a really good time in November. And But we will have to just see how that is all going to come about. And now we've been talking about 15s with the women. We've been talking about 15s with the men. Let's talk about sevens because as a new season of Rugby Sevens is upon us, the Pan America Games have returned. They will be taking place in Santiago in Chile this year. And today they announced the men's and women's sevens teams for that tournament. And, you know, there's a lot of big names in um, these teams. A uh, big one is Charity Williams is returning to the women's team. Uh, Alicia Corrigan is also named as well. Asia Hogan Rochester. You know, some of these uh, players who were in the um, Rugby America's North qualifier tournament for Paris 2024. So they'll be building as they get prepared to go to Paris. On the men's team, we have... Some familiar names, Brock Webster, Ethan Hager, Lockie Kratz, Matt Persillier. They're all uh, back and they'll be taking part. And now, unfortunately, we know that uh, the Canadian men were unable to qualify, but they have their final qualification tournament that will be held later this year. And obviously getting more prep uh, for that, as well as for the Sevens tournament that will be taking place this year. This is, you know, great progress. And for those um, unaware... Since the inclusion of sevens in the Pan America Games, uh, the Canadian women have won every time. They won in uh, 2015 in Toronto and 2019 in Lima. And the men's have also been doing pretty well. Uh, they got gold in 2011 in Guadalajara and gold in Toronto in 2015, and a silver in 2019. So the Canadian men have made the final of every Pan Am tournament, and the women have won every final in the Pan Am tournament. And I'm sure they'll both be looking to continue to return to winning ways for that. Uh, broadcast details are still to be confirmed, but they also mention the coaches and support staff that will be joining the teams as they head down to Chile. So uh, we will be talking about the results when they happen. Uh, those games will be taking place on November 3rd and 4th, which are days 14 and 15 of the Pan America Games uh, tournament. So wishing all those players all the best and looking forward to more medals being brought back to Canada. Now we've uh, gone from 15s, we've gone to 7s, we've talked about it on the national stage, let's get back to MLR. A bit closer to home because the Toronto Arrows have continued their string of re-signings for the 2024 season, and there are some big names that are returning, uh, very familiar to the Arrows faithful. And those names are Tyler Rowland, Cole Brown, and Kieran Breen. So we got a forward and two backs added to the squad. Tyler Rowland had the following to say, I am really excited to be continuing with the Arrows and look forward to embracing the challenges and contributing to the success of the club. I have felt at home since joining in 2020, a large part of which had to do with Bill Webb's support and influence throughout the years. 
I look forward to honoring Bill's legacy and continue to aid the growth of the game in Canada while also putting our performances, the organization, and the fans can be proud of. Cole Brown said, I'm incredibly happy to be returning for my third season with the team. I love playing for the Arrows and being part of this group is a dream come true for me. Although we didn't achieve the results we wanted last year, I believe that challenging experiences create strong people, and I'm excited to see our team's resolve heading into the 2024 season. There's a lot of work to be done before the season begins, but I can't wait to be back in the team environment. And Kieran Breen said, there's definitely a buzz going around while chatting to some of the guys, of the returning guys about our goals and just the overall feeling going into next season. Everyone is super excited to get back to Toronto and to show what Arrows Rugby truly is when we play next year. The passing of Bill Webb, while still deeply saddening, is something that will unite us, make us stronger, and give us something extra special to fight for when we throw on that jersey. We know he'll be there with us along the entire journey. Yeah, um, so I think over the past couple of weeks, almost every player that has re-signed um, Roland Brown Breen, obviously no exception to this as well, has mm-hmm. mentioned Bill Webb and um, mm-hmm. his passing, which obviously, like, obviously that had a huge impact. But it seems like we are probably going to get a very motivated Arrows squad in uh, 2024. It seems like, um, you know, obviously, the, obviously they weren't happy with the way the season went last year. Um, but I think I, every everybody seems to kind of talk like all the quotes coming out. Everybody's saying the right things, right? Talking about like you know the improvements that they can can be making, and it seems like there's you know you know to honor Bill's legacy is going to be a, a big piece of like added motivation for the squad going into next year. So um, it's starting to kind of feel like maybe we should be. Uh, you know, maybe perhaps expecting some uh, some bigger things from uh, from the arrows in 2024. The uh, so um, you know, I figured it might be a good time too to uh, kind of update the squad. So the 2024 arrows to date are in the forward pack. It's kind of slim still. Um, Jack McRogers, Tyler Rowland are the two forwards that have resigned. The backs we have Cole Brown. And Kieran Breen, as Stu just mentioned here, right, um, as well as Sam Malcolm, Mitch Richardson. And we have additionally, the Arrows have completed trades for Robbie Povey, um, Rowita Biddle, um, Jordan Brown, and Te Rangaria Waitokia. Um, most of um, so Povey coming over from uh, the Houston Sabercats, that was a draft pick. Biddle and Brown from the team formerly known as Rugby ATL, right? That they were traded for a foreign player slot. So the arrows are down to one foreign player slot. And then Waitokia was traded for some salary caps considerations, um, which obviously went to whatever the franchise in LA is going to be called. Um, and, you know, obviously the arrows a big contributor to the uh, Rugby ATLA fire sale that has been happening. Um, yeah. I have no idea who's going to play for that team. Um, as we joked last week, Stu, I think we're two trades away from us having to suit up in L.A., which yeah. um, isn't the worst thing in the world because L.A. seems like a really nice place. Um, but that's kind of where the arrows sit right now. Personally, I mean, it's a I mean, I think it's it's obviously way too early to kind of judge this. Um, yeah, simply not enough names. The only thing 
is, is I would like to see that foreign player slot number go back up to 10. Um, mm-hmm. If uh, Tim Matthews is able to uh, make a trade to make that happen, I think I would uh, I would like to see that. And it seems like there's enough evidence in the league so far to be the teams that have lower numbers of foreign player slots tend to uh, miss the playoffs most of the time. Yeah, so it's a shame. I would like to see that bump yeah. back up. And keeping in line with Canadian movements, uh, an announcement that came, I believe, last week that we forgot to mention, so apologies. But the Dallas Jackals have re-signed Liam Murray for his services for the 2024 season. And, you know, I'm still waiting for that all-Canadian front row that's going to take the (laughs) Jackals to the top of the West. You know, I'm just saying, when, when that happens, that's it. Game over. It's done. Jack- yeah. Jackals yeah. win the dog bowl. They win the I-45 feud. They <laughs> bring back the Cali Cup and just take it from San Diego or LA. And they're just like, this oh. is ours now. What can you do? We have a Canadian front row. Your point's invalid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought, uh, like, all three, you know, I mean, all three of the Canadian front rowers, uh, Steve's, Kotze, and Murray, all played very well last year. Um, I th- I I think Murray last season took a big step forward in his uh, development, and uh, mm-hmm. as did um, the other two guys too. So I I hope they're back, or you know if they're not back, I hope they're somewhere else in the MOR. But um, you know it's it's Dallas. I think is a is a very interesting team. I think you know despite what their record has said over the past two years, I think you know some of those young players that are in Dallas gave them. Uh, I think might have given those fan base something to you know be excited about or hopeful for in the future and uh great to see that uh that murray is going to be coming back and uh you know wishing them all the best in uh in dallas and uh hopefully uh you know hopefully they uh the wins start to uh start to come for that franchise because uh it's been a bit of a long journey for them mm-hmm. and some Ontario Rugby News, the McCormick Cup final for 2023 took place this past weekend between the Brantford Harlequins and Barmy Beach Rugby Club, with the Harlequins winning 26-20. to And if you were there for the game, it must have been a very close affair, uh, but you may have recognized some uh, familiar names from Arrow's games back in 2019. Because uh, Brantford featured Tom Van Horn, Josh Van Horn, Colby Francis, and Will Kelly, whilst Barmy Beach featured the, uh, is it right to say like semi-retired? Because you never know what will happen. Uh, Jamie McKenzie taking part in, in that game mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, a close encounter and another win for the Harlequins in the McCormick Cup. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Congrats to the uh, the Brantford Harlequins, and obviously, uh, you know, a pretty big former Arrows contingent on that squad. Uh, Will Kelly is also listed as uh, one of the coaches, so I guess he's uh, pulling some double duty. But uh, you know, it's it's cool seeing uh, some of the pictures on social media with a handful of uh, you know former Arrows uh, with the McCormick Cup, and uh, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed those celebrations. Obviously, uh, you know, we've done a handful of pitch side interviews with Will Kelly after games, and. Colby Francis, uh, one of our uh, first player guests, so always, uh, always got a spot in the, you know, in the LaRouge Rugby family for uh, for those guys. All right, now we are moving our attention back to France for the Rugby World Cup. It is the final weekend 
of the pool stages. Um, but Derek, uh, the weekend that has been, uh, any games that stood out to you? Yeah, I think there was there was a uh, there was a lot actually um, that I think were were really interesting. Um, obviously, you know, Georgia Portugal was was an interesting one. Um, wait, was that last week? New Zealand Italy um, was, you know, that was just a highlight reel. That was a fun game to yeah. watch. Um, I unless you're Italian, yeah, unless you're Italian, then that was the most miserable eighty minutes of your life. Um, but I think, you know, it, there's there. Watching that game is the casual reminder where it's like there is like, you know, the different stages of like blowouts where it's like, you know, the first couple tries, you're like, oh, it's exciting. And then there's like the Harlem Globetrotter-esque era where just like this team's just like goofing around and is trying and, you know, trying to do ridiculous things and make sure they pull out the try of the year somewhere among uh, during this game. And then you get to like, and it, then it gets really kind of boring because the scoreline is way too huge and it's not fun for anybody. And then it gets to like that other point where you're like, I'm actually going to keep watching this just to see if they get 100 points. And uh, the All Blacks didn't. They uh, they let me down on that one. They did not quite get the 100 points. But, you know, yeah, it's uh, it is it just is what it is at this point. Um, us, yeah, uh, I don't know what what, uh, what jumped out at you. Uh, so I think the closest game uh, was Uruguay Namibia. Yeah, uh, that was a good. That was a good Wednesday. game. That, too, that yeah. was a, that was a good game to watch. You know, Namibia yeah. looking as though they would be taking their first ever win in Rugby World Cup history since they've been in the competition. Uh, and and you know, at halftime, it definitely uh, looked like that. But then Uruguay came back in the second half. Obviously, Namibia. Didn't help themselves with picking up uh, a couple of cards, including a red card for the Sidereus Sethi. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, disappointing. And also two minutes after um, having a yellow card for Uanivi as well. Because I remember seeing Uanivi. I'm like, oh, that, that looks yellow. Uh, yeah. You know, I guess we'll have to see from the bunker if that's red. And then I saw Sethi's tackle, like, yeah. That that's red. That is definitely red. And you know, maybe it harks back to your point of like just make a decision because that was a very clear decision. But in I guess with the bunker system, it's just like let's get the game going. Let's get which I along. hate as we talked about earlier. Yeah, I I I, I had you. But you know, coming back from the um from halftime, mm. uh, it was a case of you know. Both teams knew what they needed to do. And it started off well for Namibia, getting that penalty, but then it was uh, just two tries in the space of five minutes for Uruguay and brought them into the lead, and then they never really looked back after that. And, you know, picking up their second victory in World Cup history, not as... uh, not as dramatic as the one. Yeah, not so. yeah, dramatic. That was the word I was looking for. Not as dramatic yeah. as against Fiji in 2019, Speaking, but a win's a win. So yeah. Speaking of Fiji, um, I said Portugal Georgia was a game I was excited. That was two rounds ago. Georgia Fiji was the actual game that I was trying to think of in my head. There. Yeah. Um, that was that was a really good one. That was super tight, and then Fiji obviously kind of pulled away at the end. But there was just some hope for just absolute chaos in that pool if Georgia pulled that one out. Um yeah. which 
we kind of got denied, but it's still a pretty chaotic pool. Like there's a there's a lot of math happening for um, everybody's scenarios that Australia can still get in if the scoreline goes right, and in a couple other games and stuff. And then obviously, you know, Fiji's you know super excited because uh, you know they got a real shot at their first quarterfinal since 2007 too, right? Yeah, so and it's gonna be and, a, it's gonna be well, a big week. Yeah, it was it was incredible that it was nine nil to georgia yeah. at halftime then semi gets yellow carded yellow, yeah as soon as the clock starts and but then it is that you know 10 minutes later georgia didn't capitalize yeah georgia didn't capitalize and then uh they get their try for fiji and then it's just a case of uh penalty and then another try and then it's only that uh, penalty right at the end to secure that losing bonus point. So Georgia can at least say they leave with that. But yeah. And yeah, also, uh... too, like with Fiji right now, obviously, big storyline for them, too, is uh, jo- uh, Joshua Tuasova playing um, at the World Cup. Uh, you know, he played the game in, in against Georgia shortly after hearing of the death of his son and then is going to have to play. Uh, Gonna have to play Portugal this weekend, obviously carrying a you know a pretty heavy heart and going dealing with that emotionally as well, right? So that's gonna be a uh, like it's a you know a bit of a story to kind of follow with Fiji. And I mean, you know, he just uh, he was still like signing autographs and stuff for fans after the game last last week too. It's you know pretty hard to imagine what he's going through as you know maybe you know kind of living living out your dream but also you know dealing with probably the most tragic thing that anybody ever mm-hmm. has to deal with in their life so um hopefully you know it's uh his you know his story and stuff right now it's a big reason to kind of be pulling for fiji and i hope uh yeah i hope they do well and uh i hope uh Tuasova continues to play well at the uh at the tournament too because it's pretty unimaginable what he's going through at this point in time yeah i thought uh with him and his family at this difficult time. All right, Derek, I'm going to have to now ask you for your predictions for the final weekend of the right. pool stage of the World Cup. And we start off with New Zealand versus Uruguay. All blacks. Yeah, I mean, Everything. after oh, sorry, that game... Gaston, Manuel, sorry, sorry guys, but no, all blacks. All yeah, Gaston and, Mi- Gaston and uh, Diana both to score tries against the all blacks, but yeah, it's yeah. Uh... hopefully hopefully that happens. There we go. Okay, now we have a Six Nations clash because it's France versus Italy and France. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, it's I know it's difficult. the All Blacks, but Italy showed like absolutely nothing positive shown from Italy no. in that game against the All Blacks. And now we move into Pool C, where we have Wales versus Georgia. Derek, dare I ask who you're going with? I'm going to go with Georgia. Because it would be fun. Color. There has it. Surprised. This is like the last week for it. Like we need an upset. We need so, this. The the results of this World Cup have been very like standard. Like I mean, like if you kind of look at our records, you're twenty six five and one. I'm twenty five six and one. Like they're yeah. like it's it's hasn't been the most difficult tournament to call and i know a few of those are us just also being like screw it let's just pick differently than the other person 
Like, yeah. it's, you know, um, because, yeah. So, I mean, it hasn't exactly been a difficult World Cup to, to call right now. So, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping for some upsets here. All right, then. Fine. One. Okay. Next up, we have England versus Samoa. I will be going with England. Yeah. Derek and England. 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 Yeah. I, I really want England to finish top because that means they face Fiji in the quarters. Ooh, that'd be fun. That'd be a well, fun game, man. That would be a very fun game. Well, remember who Fiji beat in the warm-ups to this yeah. World Cup. Yeah, I know. So exactly. Keep that That's in mind. be a fun game, too. Okay. Yeah. Now, we have another Six Nations class, because we have Ireland versus Scotland. And, you know, I've seen people saying on social media, you know, if Scotland do this and Ireland do this, then South Africa goes home. But if Scotland do this and Ireland do that, then it's Scotland goes home. And if another thing happens, it's Ireland that goes home. So it's very interesting to see how this goes. However, I think Ireland want to be top of the pool. That's they want to go through. It's reasonable. So I'm going yeah. with Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm if I'm Ireland, I definitely want to play the All Blacks in the first uh, in the quarterfinal because of you know all the historic success that Ireland has had in the quarterfinals <laughs> of this tournament. Um, definitely want to, yeah, so definitely want to go with that. Um, you know, definitely not worried about those mind games from the All Blacks coaching staff calling that uh, Ireland South Africa game incredibly boring. So uh, definitely not worried about that at all. Um, but uh, it's uh, yeah, Ireland's gonna win this game, like. And then right. the quarterfinal. I'm already predicting that one. All right. Now, this should be an exciting game because it is Japan versus Argentina. Both teams are currently on nine points in their pool. Yes. So whoever wins this game will go through to the quarterfinals. So it could be Argentina. Perfect. It could be Japan. Uh, it's, it could, and... The point difference is Argentina is on four, is on plus forty six. Japan is on plus fourteen. So currently, if they were to tie, then Argentina would go through. They are they are currently um, standing in second. So for Japan, they need to win this. But Argentina, um, you know, they can't concede anything. This is this is it essentially. So, who do you have winning this game, Derek? Um, I think uh, I think I'm gonna go with Japan. I think they've just uh, I think they have been playing a little bit better, and uh, also it'd be great to have uh, if uh, well, if Fiji gets gets through too, it'd be awesome to see two like quote unquote tier two teams in the quarterfinal. So uh, that's what I'm cheering for right now. The rise of tier two nations. Yeah, I think it's. Well, at this point, I'd say Argentina's tier one. I mean, they've been in... That's what I mean, yeah. Argentina's definitely tier one. Japan's tier two, though. So, yeah. Fiji... Actually, I don't know. I think Japan is... Are they in the rugby championship or Six Nations? Yeah, that's an equal counter-argument. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'll put it this way. uh, Japan is currently uh, 12th in the world, Mm. whilst Argentina is ninth. The difference being just under four points. So it's like it's seventy five point five one for Japan, seventy nine point three one for Argentina. Mm-hmm. So, and in between those uh, two nations is Australia and Italy. So make of that what you will. Great, uh, great teams. All right, you're going with Japan. Okay. Then for then for the sake of not being 
Um, completely similar. I will go with Argentina. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. And now, uh, I was going to say this is going to be a close game. I'm thinking of the next one. Uh, Tonga versus Romania. I'm Tonga. going with Tonga. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, as in, oh, man. If this if this World Cup had taken place a year before, maybe this would have been close, but yeah. Romania have just been yeah. the disappointment of oh, this tournament. They've been terrible, yeah. Um, they've been terrible, and their players are... Uh... You know, calling out their union on uh, Romanian newspapers. Yeah. So, fun times, fun times for Romania right now. And we close the pool stage with a pool C clash. It is Fiji versus Portugal. Now, even though Fiji is currently ranked eighth and Portugal is sixteenth, with over ten points separating these two teams, I have a feeling this may be a lot closer than others may think but that said i am still gonna go with fiji yeah i think well, i think it's fiji i mean i think they're just straight up fiji is the better team in this game obviously but also you know as we just mentioned with uh tuasova his family and you know what the mm-hmm. fijian national team is kind of going through right now you know they're gonna be you know motivated to not only you know win this game for uh just fiji rugby but also for the tuasova family and everybody that they know that's connected to uh to that tragedy right so um do you know they're going to be playing with uh with an extra ounce of like motivation in this game too and um they got uh they have their sights set on that uh that first quarter final in since 2007 so um i i think it's going to be fiji just because well because one because they're better and two it seems like they have a little bit more to play for in this game too just from an emotional point of view anyways those are our picks for the Rugby World Cup pool stages. And if you are looking where that you can find those games, they are available on TSN and TSN Plus. So make sure you subscribe to those channels in order to view them. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out more as well as our written pieces on our website, larougerugby.ca. You can also find our podcast on Spotify, S4P, and Apple Podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel at The Rouge Rugby with episodes of the podcast, as well as extra interviews with players and coaches. Make sure to like and subscribe and hit the bell notification to stay up to date with all our videos. We also are available across social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and threads, all at The Rouge Rugby. But Derek, where can the fine people find you specifically on social media? Apris at the Jed on uh, your favorite social media platform. And you can find me across social media at Hardman's Hall, H4RDMAN. Well, that's where we're going to end this episode. Derek, thank you for joining me, and thank you for joining us for another episode of La Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we talk about real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time.